evening, everybody. If you'll uh, open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16, that's where our text will be this evening. We're going to spend most of our time in this chapter, but I'm going to read some select portions before I unveil, I guess, what the two stories contained in this chapter are. So if you'll read with me, starting in verse 31. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder, caved under, and was under them. And the earth opened up her mouth, and swallowed them up, and their houses... And the men that it appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that they appertained to them went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord. And consumed 250 men that offered incense. Jehovah, God, here has made his wrath known. These people were swallowed up into the ground and taken alive. And everything with them, and they died. Can there be any mistaking his position about how he felt about what they did? Why? Why is this response required from the Lord? What led us here? I want to look at that first. What led us here? So if you'll turn up to the first of the chapter, I'm going to quickly kind of move through the story that led us up to here. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, and the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, and the sons of Elihab, and On, and the son of Peleth, and the sons of Reuben took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing that all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why are you then lifting up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spoke to Korah and to all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he's chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire in them. And put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. Now turn over to verse 11. For which cause both you and all that your company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that you should murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you brought us up out of the land that flows with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? 
except you're making yourself altogether a prince over us. Moreover, you've not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you then put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, and neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy, and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron, tomorrow. Move over to verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of spirits and of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be wroth with the whole congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children, and Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth opens her mouth and swallows them up, and with all that they appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then shall you understand that these men have provoked the Lord. So we know the rest of the way this story works out. The ground opens and these people go into it. And Korah has taken upon himself to rebel against the commandments of the Lord for the office of the high priest. They thought that they were capable of offering incense in the presence of the Lord just as the high priest. You see, these were the sons of Levi. They were the servants in the temple, but there was only one high priest. And only a high priest could offer the incense before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. But they said, no, we're going to do it too. And you've taken too much on yourself, and I reject your leadership, and we're going to do it too. We're no less than what you are, is what he was saying. This signifies him in burning incense, offering prayers for the people of God. And only the high priest could come into the presence of the Lord. So Korah and his followers did not regard the office of the high priest, which is occupied by Aaron, and the authority of God speaking through his prophet, Moses, two of the offices of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hated Aaron. They really hated Moses. You can read throughout all the history of these people from the time they left Egypt. All they talked about is wanting to go back to Egypt and the reasons why they hated Moses. So they, they would rather go back and be slaves than to be under the leadership and authority of Moses. Moses heard directly from God. He did signs and wonders that God enabled him to do to show forth his power. He brought about plagues through the Lord's 
word unto Pharaoh. He freed millions of slaves from Egypt. This had never been heard of before and never heard of since. They followed in the desert a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of Pharaoh, all these things demonstrated God's authority and power, and this came through the mouth of Moses. So anything you heard about God at this point, it came through his mouth. So there was a voice of authority in Moses. And both of these offices, the high priest and the prophet, typify the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses was a man. Jesus of Nazareth became the God-man. He came here and became a man. And if you saw him, you would see nothing remarkable. And the same is true with Moses and Aaron. And you can hear the responses of the people who did not respect either of them. You led us in the wilderness to die. We want to be back where we are, and you're exalting yourself up above us, and we're no different than you. And, you, and, you can, and there's a part of you that can understand some of their angst in being a human being, having somebody else talk to you like that. Only you can talk to God, but I can't. And oh, Aaron, only you can approach, but I can't. So they didn't have respect for God, his word, or his servants. And, and you consider this. When did they take up stones to kill the Lord? During his life, there were times where the religious of the day, they took up stones to kill him. What were those times? There were two times recorded, and one is, before Abraham was... I am. And secondly, I and my father are one. And what he was telling them is, I am the very God of the Bible. I am God. He was telling them that, and that infuriated them because this exposes who we are. Whenever we start hearing the word of God, we rebel against it. Well, I don't like that. And so they took up stones to kill the Lord himself. They hated the high priest, of Aaron, which is Aaron, and they hated his prophet, Moses, which typifies the hatred men have of Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ that is preached in most places today is not the one who is in the Bible. Simple reading can tell you that, but most people check their heads out at the door when they come in. It's a hatred for Jesus Christ, and we as men hate him for who he is. Once we find out he's sovereign, he is in charge, he is the one who sets all things in an order, and by him all things consist and all power is under his hand. We don't like that because what that means is I have none. I have no ability to influence. Men hate him in his word because he tells us who we are. We're sinful. We can't approach and we won't approach. And you're telling me that that Christ only died for a select people, that means I can't come. They don't understand. They don't even understand the word. They're not listening. They hate him for who he is. And this is typified by the rebellion of Korah and his followers, the rebellion against the high priest and the rebellion against the prophet. God would not allow his name to be maligned. And this is the same error 
that is being made today. Men and women say things like this. You believe that, and I believe this. But we both worship God. We're both trying to get to the same place. I believe in the same God you do. I just believe some different things than you. And why can't we focus, why focus on the differences? Let's focus on what we have in common. You have heard this. If you've talked to anyone about what you believe, you've heard this. Well, you know what? Cora said the exact same thing. He wasn't approaching a different God. He was approaching the same God that Moses was. How did the Lord interpret his approach? We can see that in his word. The Lord is the interpreter of his own word. And he executed swift destruction upon these men because they did not approach him through the high priest. We have no right and no ability to approach God but by Jesus Christ. And if we do not approach him that way, we will meet this same end. There is no gray area here. There is no differences to discuss. This is the word. And God killed all those who espoused this same saying. Their, their wives, their children, everything they have was taken away. They both approached the living God, but one sought him after the wrong order. Now, if you look here, you, we read the story. We know what happened to Korah. Now, look here at the, what happens towards the end here. In verses 39 and 40, Eliezer, the high priest, took the brazen censers, which were offered, and they made broad plates for a covering for the altar. For what purpose? In verse 40, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, comes near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and his company, as the Lord said in him by the hand of Moses. So, you know the story up to here. They made a memorial. What's the purpose of a memorial? A memorial, well, you go visit our nation's capital, there's all kinds of them. A memorial is so we remember. It's to make mention of a particular person or an event. We're going to make a memorial so you don't forget what happened here today. No one comes near the Lord who is not of the seed of Aaron. You can only approach by the high priest. And you remember, <coughs> excuse me, up to this point, as soon as the ground swallowed them up, everyone else who did not go into the pit, what happened? Well, first they saw it, and then they ran scared because they didn't want to fall in either. And they didn't want to get consumed by the Lord. So this was one day. Verse 41. The next day. But on the morrow, the next day, all the congregation of Israel and, and murmured against o Moses and against Aaron saying, You've killed the people of the Lord. This is the very next day. Did you not see what happened the day before? Think about this. This is us. This is us. We're, we, we are all, you know, we feel like we got ourselves right one minute. The next day, it's like reset. And you're starting all over. They saw these people taken alive. Moses told them why it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and by whose hand it was going to happen. And then it happened. And then the next day, they start doing the same thing. The ones that lived. They blamed Moses and Aaron. You've killed the people of the Lord. Now, never mind the rebellion. 
the challenging of the offices of God that he set up and the way God said that you have to approach and do things, which actually led to all this. Never mind all that, but you've killed the, the people of the Lord. They're ignoring everything that God said at this point. And you know what? It is no different when you are challenged for standing for the integrity of what the scriptures actually teach to the people of this world. Men are dead in sins. You are hopelessly dead in sins because of what your father Adam did. You have adopted his nature because you were born that way. You can't change. You cannot and you will not come to God because once you find out who he is, it's an offense. And we by nature, the scriptures tell us, we hate God in, in and of our flesh. Christ only died for the elect, only those for whom the Father gave him. When you start standing for what the scriptures actually teach, men get offended. People don't like that because it makes them uncomfortable. It takes away their ability to control the situation. We're all control freaks by nature, some of us more than others. And um, when you take that away, that's when people start getting angry. The focus moves away from what God actually says in his word and becomes, right, I know, but this is what I think. How much more can we show our depravity when the creation starts telling the creature how he needs to run things and why what he's doing is not fair? And as I was chewing on that a little bit, I was actually thinking on this, walking through my house, and I was feeding the fish tank in my kid's room. And I was like, this is no different than these stupid fish in this tank that I come in here. The only reason they live is because I throw fish food in there. I don't really care about those fish, and I, but yet I do that to keep them alive. I'll throw a little food in there. No different than them being able to communicate with me and say, you know, listen, this food you're giving us is crap. Like, we don't like it. It's actually made of fish flakes, and you're making us eat it, and we don't like it. We want something else. And, oh, yeah, I don't like the color of the wall. I, you know, and the way that you said this, I didn't really like the way you spoke to me, so I'm going to need you to actually back up and approach me differently next time you come in the room. This is no different than the way we try to reframe what God's word says that we don't like. It's funny, we laugh at it, but it's true. We check our brains out when we start thinking about things in this book. But that's the reality of it. It's no different. Well, in verse 42, And it came to pass <clears throat> when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked towards the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold... The cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared, and Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. So what we see here, you can imagine this. Everybody has confronted Moses and Aaron. A crowd now has formed around them. You can imagine shouting. They're angry. They're getting this mob mentality where they start getting worked up and are screaming at them. And, you know, at this point, they're going to kill them. If something doesn't happen, they will kill Moses and Aaron. But then we see the Lord step in. What is called the Shekinah glory of God comes down over the tabernacle. God's presence, God's glory being contained in one place where we can see it. It came down over the tabernacle. And in verse 43, they came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So God here 
has made a great end to this era of Korah. And now, the same people who learned the era of Korah are now doing the same thing. They're coming after God's high priest. They're coming after God's prophet. And they will kill them if something doesn't happen. And the Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to them and said, Step away. I'm going to wipe them out. Just back up, and it's going to be taken care of. The Lord came to defend his servants. That's something to consider. And we see something very interesting here, and I don't know that I've taken it into context for what it is until I started looking at this passage. You see the humility and the meekness of Moses and Aaron. You see something that you don't, that you know, we're told, you know, Moses being the meekest man on the earth. I hear, I hear and I see that, but I see it here in the word. His meekness, because upon hearing that God was ready to wipe out these people who would have killed them's existence, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. Now, I know me, um, and if I was in their position and surrounded by these people and had gone through all this, two days of this, and despite all they'd seen, God threatened to wipe out Korah and his followers and and actually everybody at first, but they fell on their faces before the God, and we pleaded for your lives to the Lord. We went through yesterday. The Lord consumed Korah and all his followers. We fell on our faces. We pleaded for your lives. God spared you, and now, the very next day, you're at this again. You deserve everything that you're going to get. So I'm going to back away, and I'm going to allow the Lord to obliterate you because this people is, they're stubborn. They're hard-necked. They don't listen. I would have stepped away and said, I'm done with this. This is enough of you. So, but yet Moses and Aaron didn't do this. They fell on their faces a second time. And in verse 46, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar. And put on incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. He said to take a censer. A censer was a fire plate that they carried, the priest carried. And they gathered coals in that fire plate from off the altar. And then smoke came up off those Holes, and they would throw incense on and smoke would come off those. So they're told two things. First is to get a censer. And the second is to get fire. But not just any fire. We're told to get the fire off the altar. And so what is the significance of the fire off the altar? Well, first that was God's instructions for how to burn incense and how to approach him. But the significance of the fire off the altar is that's where the sacrifice was. The sacrifice is the atonement. That's the means by which I can even approach unto God. That's the means by which I have peace before him is the altar. The fire, the coals and the fire, it represents the sacrifice. So that's where the, you don't dare approach unto him in prayer, in anything without the sacrifice. This is the atonement. So they're told to get the censer, get the fire off the altar because it came from a sin atonement. And this is the means by which God's wrath, we're told, will be held back. The atonement is a, is, is a word for appeasement. 
and the Lord is appeased. He's angry, but the sacrifice consumes all the anger. It takes everything that is required away. It consumes that. It's where God and man met. Now you take the incense. This represents our prayers to God. It's the incense that goes up. It signifies also the Lord's prayers for his people. And so whenever you see Aaron here, you see him as the high priest of Israel, but it's also a picture of the Lord. And the same as Moses as the prophet, it's a picture of the Lord as the prophet. Now, we're told there's wrath gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. You consider this, that the plague is even here in this world right now. The Lord sent a plague to consume them. The plague here is death. And each person in here, we have been exposed to this plague. And this plague will have a different time period to enact upon your mortal body than the person next to you. But at some point, death has a 100% success rate. And the plague has begun even here. And we may die tonight, we may die tomorrow, maybe a long time from now. We don't know, but we do know this, we will all die at some point. If no atonement, if no payment is made to God for your sins and for my sins, we will be standing guilty before an all-powerful, almighty, living God who is furious with each one of us in here. And there's nothing that you can do or say to save yourself. You need an atonement. You need a sacrifice. You need peace with God or else it's over for you and me. We have nothing else. There is no way that we can get out of it. We will all be forced to deal with him one day. Now you can imagine what they're looking at right now, Moses and Aaron. The people were told the plague has begun. People are falling down left and right, right in front of them. They're standing there and you can see, I'm sure you hear screams because somebody next to them they love just died. This plague is coming through, so you see screams and terror and people dying. And in verse 47, And Aaron took, as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among, among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Despite all the evil, you consider this, everything that these people had done, they were ready to kill these two men. But yet, despite all that, the Lord making it out for them, saying, I'm just going to wipe them out in a moment. And they said, no, don't. They fell on their faces. Why? This is their meekness. And then Moses gave instructions to Aaron. He said, you go get fire off the altar, and you get it, put it in a censer, and you run out there, and you wave it. And despite all the evil, the unbelief, and the rebellion of this people, and God killing them with a plague of death, Aaron ran out into the midst of it. You consider that. I, I tried to really put myself in his shoe. Would I have been able to do that? Aaron ran out in the middle of it to save the people, fully knowing it may cost him his life. He wasn't immune. Why would Aaron be any different than them? He ran out into the middle of it, knowing it may cost him his life. But he knew if no atonement was made, everyone, was lost. What a picture of our Lord. You consider what he did 
the way we are, ungodly, unbelieving, sinners, shaking our fist in, in his face every day, and yet he became a man, swimming in the filth of everything that comes out of us, to be denied, to be reviled, to be hated every single day, knowing that he had the power in his fingertip to flatten the earth and everybody on it. And yet he endured it. He ran into the middle of the plague out of love for unbelieving, ungodly sinners. Aaron here, like our Lord, endured criticism. He endured doubt. He endured hatred of the people for whom he represented. How much more so our Lord? What did he have to endure in order to make payment for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of all his people had to bear? We have no concept of this. We really don't. But yet he did it out of love. Because we, we don't understand. Because if it's us, there comes a point where we become offended enough. It, it's not happening. But with him, his long-suffering nature, he's merciful. And the Lord came in a way we could never do. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague was stayed. Aaron stood between the living and the dead. Waving the censer, waving the smoke, which are the prayers of the people, lit from the fire, from off, the, off of the altar. He was staring death in the face. It said he stood between the living and the dead. That means people dying right in front of him and then people behind him not. That's how close he was to it. His face was right in it. And what would have made him any different than the person in front of him that fell dead? The only difference is he had the prayers of the people. He trusted a whole time believing that God would honor his covenant. The burning of the incense from the fire off the altar represent a sacrifice accepted. And he was waving that in the face of the Lord saying, this is your sacrifice. You said, you said that you would cease to be angry with us for our sins. And this is the means by which it, and he was waving it in the face of the Lord to say, I'm asking for mercy because otherwise everybody's gone. He was honoring, asking the Lord to honor his covenant. And our high priest, he did the same. The Lord Jesus Christ, he endured the weight, the pain, the penalty of sin as no one ever even knew or could. You can't bear the penalty of your own sins. You can, you can be punished, but there's no end to it. There's no way that you can actually bear the full burden of it because that's why hell is forever. That's why there's no end, because there's no satisfaction in your death. The Lord bore all these things, and even while being nailed to the cross, staring death in the face, knowing that death was come to take him when he, when he gave release of it, but he, he was staring death in the face, he prayed from the cross. It's the same symbolism as waving the censer right here. Believing that his father heard him even when his father forsook him. He believed just as Aaron did that God would honor his covenant. That once, that once the sacrifice came into the picture, sin was punished. He became our sacrifice. He is our substitute. In verse 49, And they that died in the plague were 49,700 besides them that died about the manner of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses and entered the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. 
And you consider this, this work of Aaron that we saw here, we've seen this is the same work as the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands between the living and the dead. And all those that are found in him are living. All those that are not found in him, not believing him, they're going to be dead. So why would he do all that for me? I'm not worthy that someone should endure pain and suffering, let alone death. Love is the reason. Love became the remedy in offering himself up, thereby stopping the plague of death, of hell, of punishment, of sin, removing sin so far. It's not just that sin is forgiven. He took it a step further. It's, all, it's now been forgotten. He talks about removing our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east is east from the west? It's infinitely far apart. It's as far as it can be because it keeps going. There is no distance that it covers. So it's that far. It's so far it cannot even be measured how far because it keeps growing, how far it is from us. I can approach unto God and not be consumed in Christ. I have confidence that I can come before him because of the sacrifice, because of the censer that was waved of his sacrifice. I have peace with God. Now, this Old Testament story pictures the love of Christ for his people. It pictures his sacrifice. But you consider this. Aaron's life went on after this. And there would be other plagues, other enemies, other trials, other rebellions that he would deal with. But when Christ died, he put all those things down. All of my enemies forever. They are gone forever when he when he died. All who would oppose me, all who would hurt me, all who would condemn me, past, present, and future, it was all put away when Christ died. So this unchanging priest whose priesthood is forever has put away sins forever because he never dies. His sacrifice is perpetual. It was always before the Father. Salvation is finished now. And you are called right now to believe it. And in doing so, you are showing forth that his prayers from the cross, just like the waving of the censer of smoke, that those prayers were for you. And you are commanded to rest in it. And I'll leave you with this. It's all you have. And if you're only left with what you have, and then, then you find out it's all that you need. And when the, you know that it's all that you need and that everything is found in what he did, it becomes all you want. I pray the Lord gives us that same view of him as our unchanging, ever-living high priest.